Thanks, Christy. Well, thanks for having me, Oasis Church, morning. Um, uh, I usually start with a little bit of an intro, um, but I uh, barely need to. So <laughs> what I can, uh, what I can uh, start as an intro is just to say um, what a great uh, leader or team that you have here, and it's evidence of great leaders. Uh, and the fact that so many people have been part of uh, your building project, moving the church, uh, is evidence to me from the outside that uh, it's not Christy and Ewan's church, it's Oasis Church and this is your facility that you are part of and uh, good leaders can tell people what to do but great leaders inspire people to do what they're doing and so what we s can see from the outside is that uh, that you guys have some great leaders and so um, and they've also been great friends to us uh, all the way you know a bit of a distance between our church and here and it's great to have friends in ministry that are doing some of you know similar things and I've been really excited to share some of their journey um, so you know I've been praying for you guys from a distance and um, and I, I'm really excited to see what God is going to do with Oasis Church in the very near future and in the more distant future. And I'm really excited uh, for what God's going to do in the lives of your leaders as they're going away. And I'm going to talk a little bit as I get into the word this morning uh, about just what happens when we learn to love our neighbour. Also what happens when we encounter someone who's a bit different to us and hear from them. And one thing about traveling and going somewhere different from home is that God has a way of, uh, of bringing a message into your life through that time. So you guys might be entering a time of rest and, you know, um, maybe recuperation after, you know, a busy season in your life. But know that, um, that God has also uh, got something in store for you in that. It, it I, and I pray it is restful, but it's not just idle time that God has a plan for what he's going to do with you guys. So pray for your leaders as they're away and uh, that they'll come back with a fresh word for you all. So before I get into anything else, I uh, want to read the text that I'm going to preach out of this morning. And uh, if I guess I could introduce myself other than what Christy shared, uh, I would also add that I have a few great passions in life. Uh, one is getting to wear sneakers to church. Um, <laughs> I, I debated whether it would be appropriate, like sort of as I'm about to get ready. And uh, I feel like, I think we've like just about done the same kind of gig here. So I, I'm, I, I feel like it's appropriate, good, good stuff. I'll come back anytime. Um, and another great passion of mine uh, is is the word of God, is learning and, and seeing uh, and being able to communicate what God has given us in the scriptures. And so I'm going to start with a text, pray and then share uh, what I've got for you this morning. So we're in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you want to follow, um, I'm reading from the NRSV. Uh, so it might be a little different if you've got a different version. We're starting in verse 1. Now the wife of a member of the company of prophets cried to Elisha. Elisha was the prophet at the time. 
Your servant, my husband, has died, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, but a creditor has come to take away my two children as slaves. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? She answered, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. He said, go outside, borrow vessels from all of your neighbours, empty vessels, and not just a few. Go in, shut the door behind you and your children and start pouring into all of these vessels. When each is full, set it aside. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her children. They kept bringing vessels to her and she kept pouring. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. But he said to her, there are no more. Then the oil stopped flowing. You can help me preach this morning and turn to your neighbour, look at them and say, neighbour, oh neighbour, our capacity is limited only by our community. Did you catch that? You can try it again. Try the neighbour next to you on the other side and say, neighbour, oh neighbour. Our capacity is limited only by our community. (laughs) Yeah, I'm done. I'll go home. (laughs) That's what I love about the Bible. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son who shows us what it is to be a good neighbor. Your son who shows us what it is to love, what it is to serve. And we pray that as we open up the text this morning, we would see through who you are, what you're saying to us through these words, through these verses, through the, uh, the stories of the prophet this morning. And Lord, we pray that as we learn from who you are, that we would love our neighbours well in a way that would lead them to see who you are, in a way that would break down the strongholds and the barriers and the things that tell us that we don't need you to know you or we don't need to go to church we don't need anything beyond what we have in this world that you being revealed in your people would break open the hardest hearts in this community that you being revealed in your people would reach the least the last and the left out that would reach the ones that no one thinks can be reached would reach the ones that have no reason to reach out to someone else that they know of yet. We trust and we know that it's your love that can do this. Use us, Lord Jesus. Amen. So in this verse, well actually in this chapter, and if you go home you can do a bit of homework on this later and Uh, You can read the following four stories and I'm actually going to use a couple of points out of each story because, see, what I love about the scripture is none of it's put together by accident. None of it is put together, uh, you know, it's not unintentional. Everything is given to us as it is to show us something. And there's this, what I would almost, if I didn't know better, describe as a random collection of little anecdotes or stories uh, that kind of jumps out in the middle of the narrative about the prophet Elisha. And these 
little stories when you put them together actually paint us a big picture as does so much of scripture so much that uh you know, when we look at a book of the bible in its entirety or when we look at the old testament in its entirety or when we look at the whole of scripture given to us in its entirety we can see bigger pictures and even this one chapter it starts off with a woman in need it continues with the prophet and a story like really uh, kind of odd little story um, about how uh, the promise comes riding in on a donkey uh, and if you know the New Testament Gospels you start to see what's going on and then an even weirder little story about a pot of stew and it's so uh, the the prophet talks about how they had gathered in their lack all of the things that they could get together and made a pot of stew but someone not knowing had put something in that was a poisonous vegetable and it uh it contaminated the stew and one of the first or the first to eat it turns to the prophet and says sir there's death in the pot it's a um and i'm kind of i'm giving you the overview because i would usually preach this sermon uh, as a, a series as the last part of a series so just so you get some context there and then the last little story is about bread that's made that is providing for uh that is bread that is going to be sustaining for the person that's in that story in words that you'll hear echoed in John chapter 6 if you jump to there when Jesus says I'm the bread of life after feeding the 5,000 and so we have this picture of where when you put it together someone in their lack then a God that comes in an unexpected way to bring provision to his people. But then, like us really, what we've gathered together sometimes doesn't turn out exactly how God has intended. And so we need to be aware when something's crept in that God hasn't intended for us to have in this, you know, gathering of what we have. And then this bread that gives life is what comes out of that and that's speaking not only of Jesus but it's also speaking of his church the body of Christ that when we rely on him to provide this oil for us and we are obedient to what he does and when we assess the things in our life that he doesn't want in our life and when then we become the people that he's calling us to be we become a body that gives life and so the things that we are doing in our community, the things that uh, as a church God is calling you to do, whether that be your individual calling or the things that you're going to be doing as a church, as a new church in this community, ways that you're going to reach your community, these will be life-giving if they're surrendered to Jesus. Not just life-giving in ways that, you know, you would normally understand like 
people coming in and, and they lift their hands and they make a decision to follow Jesus and that is the ultimate life that we can gain. But life-giving in a way that brings hope and restoration into your community so that they would see who Jesus is from the outside in. Because what you do, how you serve, how you love, how you reach... And so I'll give you all of that overview to give you a few points on creating community, loving your neighbour. I love that you've called uh, your series Love Your Neighbour. What an incredible challenge and in true to form gospel fashion, such a simple statement. It's so simple but incredibly difficult to do. So let's go back to that story of the woman in her house with the jar of oil. We need to be a church, a community, not just Oasis, not just my church, not just the ACC churches, But the church needs to be a place that has things built into our life. We need to seek God in such a way that when the prophet says, what do you have? Even if you have nothing else, you can say, I have a jar of oil. And so I want to just bring that maybe this morning. Because if you want to serve well, if we want to love well, if we want to truly love our neighbour in a way that would help them to see Jesus, the way that we stop death creeping into the pot, the way that we stop making strangers into enemies and start making them our neighbour, is by being formed by knowing who Jesus is. It's by spending time in prayer and fasting. And I think that you've, the fact that you're doing this series after a time of fasting is not something that always would be a natural connection in our churches today. We often fast before, you know, we're about to launch into a a big conference or we fast before, you know, we want to find out what God wants to do with our church for the beginning of the year. So we fast at the beginning of the year for the vision. But to be fasting at a time when then you're going to speak about going into your community, loving your neighbour, is probably the most biblical um, that, I've, that I would connect fasting to. Because the fasting that God taught his people to do was so that they would recognise how they've gone out of a way that he didn't want them to be in. And he's teaching them a new way to live a way that denies the systems and structures that caused the oppression that they were under in Egypt and recognises a new way where they care for each other, where everyone has enough, where everyone has opportunity and provision and no one goes without. See, fasting was to help them not get out of Egypt but get the Egypt out of them. And so 
when we connect this with the bread of life at the end of this story and how we as the church are called to be life-giving, we've got to recognise what it is that God calls us to deny, to let go of. So if you're a note taker, point, you know, taking it point by point, uh, and if you don't, let me encourage you to do it, um, not just so you can pick on your preachers later and go, <laughs> I looked this up, no, don't do that, it's not fun. Um, definitely look it up though, uh, but also uh, I think over my life I would always look at the row of people who I wanted to be like in ministry, who were loving well and serving well and living big lives for God and they would always be there with open books and hungry hearts, no matter where they were sitting. Even if it was... I, and I, I see this even with pastors that uh, I look to as mentors and they'll have their youth pastor or someone preaching and there's the pastor sitting taking notes, you know, as knowing, recognising that we can learn uh, something from everyone. So that's, a, that's unrelated, but you can have that for free. Um, so n- point number one is we need to be conscious of our formation. What do you have in your house, the prophet asked. So I have nothing but a jar of oil. Connect that to some of the New Testament stories. The, uh, the five virgins in Revelation that have oil in their lamps. The five uh, that, like Jesus talks about in the parable. Oil is always talking about our own connection with the Holy Spirit, our relationship with God, that, that thing that is... Uh, that we have by spending time with God. That's why it's important when we're talking about going out into the community that we're still coming into the congregation on Sundays. It's not about becoming so community-minded or service or charity or whatever it is good that God you know, has given, put on your heart to do that you haven't got time to be part of the church and spend time in the presence of God and prayer and the Word. Because if when it comes to what you have to give and you have not the pot of oil in your house to even start with, then when you're invited to go and find empty vessels amongst your neighbours, then you have nothing to pour in. We need to encounter first. So point one is formation. Point two is go find neighbours. See, this woman would have lived in a place that, as a widow, would have been, you know, the outskirts of society. There were not provisions like Centrelink or, you know, things that looked after. And if you weren't in the right family and didn't have someone who stepped in to provide for you, like, you know, this woman who's found herself with people knocking on the door to come and take her children to work off the debts that she has. She's not well off. And then we could guess pretty comfortably that neither would her neighbours be. So you would live amongst people of kind of equal economic status. 
And so she's probably in a place where her neighbours don't have a lot to offer either. And so to ask someone for their vessels, which if you don't understand much of what's going on in that, uh, that kind of time, a vessel uh, was either something that was required for food, provision, cooking, cleaning, eating, or even ceremonial um, rights that were so important in their culture. And if you didn't have much money, they were probably quite expensive items out of everything that you would own. These were probably some of the most important things in your house. And to ask your neighbour to go and borrow, this is a big thing. You wouldn't just lend things like that to anyone. So this woman has neighbours that she can go and ask, send her children even, to go and collect, enough so that they actually give her something that is really precious to them. We need to go into our communities in a way that, re that they would be willing to open up things that are of value to them, which is entirely countercultural in our society. To share your vulnerabilities, to be able to say that you're struggling, or even to share the insecurities or the fears we have for the future or even that thing that says, what am I even here for? If we want people to have conversations with us, with us about Jesus, then we need to make them our neighbours in such a way that they would open up to us. So if we're formed and we find our neighbours, then the prophet speaks and says, pour out into the empty vessels, keep pouring until there is no more. And when does the oil run out? When there are no more vessels. There were no more neighbours to give to. We can pour out as long as, or actually we will keep being able to pour out as long as there is something to give into. If you are desperate for a touch of God, if you have been a Christian a long time and you don't know what is to come next in your faith, if you're wondering how to, you know, find that place where you really are excited about being in the presence of God again, can I encourage you get alongside someone who doesn't know Jesus. Get alongside, make a neighbour of someone, not just to love with the intention of an invite, but if they reject your invite, will you still love them? Love them that way. If we make neighbours out of them, we'll have opportunities. If we have neighbours to pour into, then you don't need to worry about what you're going to have to give because the promise of God is that as we love and serve, we'll have something to give because he meets us there. We've been talking a lot about communion in our church and we went from doing communion only once a month or even probably less to doing it all like every service that we get together because there's something I never used to quite get what it meant when it said that Jesus encounters us there. And there's something in that 
coming together of receiving communion from another. See, we receive, we don't take communion. If um, you take scripture at its word. So we receive communion from another when we gather together around a table. And so when you receive from someone who is different to you and recognize your need for God and their need for God is the same, no matter what other status you hold in society, no matter how important they are, no matter how different they are or we all have the same need for God. When we recognize them there as a neighbor, there's something about that that is exactly what the word is talking about when it says where two or more are gathered under my name, there I'm made present. When you can love someone unconditionally, and I think around that time of communion where we recognize with complete humility our need for God is the same as someone else's need, then we have probably the most hope of actually recognising others the same way that God looks at all of us equally. Then the kingdom is made real in that moment. There I am present, the word says. There we are made the body that brings life when we can recognise our neighbour. I, if I could name a third thing that I'm really passionate about, it would be, and I'm, I've only got about two minutes to go, so I know we're, can I have like two more? Um, So where I, justice and mercy are something that uh, I think we have entirely neglected in, in the telling of who Jesus is. I preach another sermon that I call, The World Wants to See Jesus. And there are people around you, and I loved what I think Beck shared this morning about, you know, recognising that there, there are people around us who think they don't need Jesus, but there will be something in them that recognises or desires, because we're created in God's image, and so one of the most incredible things I've been able to see in and through my ministry is calling out in someone the the thing that is who Jesus is that's that is evident in their life there was a young person that I had uh, first met in a youth hostel and I'm going to finish with this story so if um, if there's a if you get the band back or all of it so there was a, a young man who was homeless. I was working at a, um, a shelter for teenagers and he'd been in 17 different institutions by the time that I first encountered him. In a very short, uh, probably about two years at that time and he was very, uh, he, was, he was very friendly at first and wanted to, until he found out I was a Christian. And then he didn't want to know. As, I, I mean, he didn't want to know anything. He didn't want to talk to me. He didn't want... But I worked there on a, a shift rotation that meant I was there four days of the week. 
And so I saw him over the course of a couple of weeks before he got to the point where um, he, he would self-destruct, he would sabotage every opportunity he had. And so eventually I came back and he wasn't there. And then about a year and a half later, I walked into my church building during the week, we have an education program for, uh, for students year 11 and 12 that have disengaged and, you know, to help them through their, finalise their education. And so uh, there he was in the transition group for our year 11 program. And he still didn't want to know anything about God. He still didn't want to know anything. And, but he remembered me and he sort of somewhat softened to the fact that not everyone who was a Christian was going to be the way that he'd kind of built up a, a picture. He'd had um, left home because uh, of some things that uh, his parents had said to him or, you know, the ways that uh, they'd reacted to some things about his life. And, and so he'd been really reluctant to respond to anyone and we'd have conversations over the course of the first couple of months of him being in this program at lunch. He'd sit and, you know, he'd talk about uh, the place that he used to stay, where I'd worked. And, and then he'd, you know, have whatever going on in his life. And our staff were working incredibly to try and get through some of the issues that he was facing. And, um, but he'd get to these roadblocks where he'd just be like, I don't know what else to do. And I'd always say, you know what I'm going to say. And I remember the one day he was particularly not wanting to respond where he, we had this kind of car park, it would drop off. And I remember seeing an arm come up with a particular hand gesture, you know, as he'd like stormed out of the office. And he, that's what he thought of what I, you know, every time we'd get to that point. But we had a 40-hour famine weekend coming up where our youth team wanted to have all the youth who were doing the 40-hour famine to raise funds, have them sleep, uh, you know, sleep over at the church, you know, like classrooms and stuff. So, so we're like, yeah, let's do that. And a few of the students wanted in. This is the first time I kind of got to see that even though... They don't want anything to do with the church or with God. There's this desire inside them for things that are good, that are who Jesus is, to love the least and the last and the left out. And here's this young man who hates everything, but he wants to love and serve and raise money for these kids who are missing out because the world wants to see Jesus. And so we had these kids stay in and, and there's a whole story around what went down on the second night and it was nothing short of about 10 different miraculous things that occurred but resulted in him seeing something that there was no way he could deny the power of God because of something that was going on with another young person there that weekend and he came in and I remember it was three o'clock in the morning and he woke up all of the youth leaders and tells us that he needs to pray and accept Jesus into his life right now. Would we have loved him any different if he didn't make that choice? No. But it was through 
recognizing what was in him that looked like the image of God, that desired the things that were who Jesus was, justice and mercy. And like Amos says, that it's where to seek justice, kindness or mercy and humility. It's when we can walk in humility, hearing another's story that we get the opportunity sometimes to share enough of ours that they can see who Jesus is. That young guy ended up actually reconciling with his family and we were able to be part of, they were over east, but initially helping them get in contact and walk through some of the difficulties that they have. And he's still in church now and not without some issues still, but he finished his education, he worked, he went to TAFE, studied to do youth work because the only people who'd you know, given him the time of day in his life were those youth workers at the school and other places. And so he's doing pretty good, all things considered, for when you know, I'd met him, the power of God in a young person's life. Even the most hard-hearted want to see Jesus. Would you find your neighbours? Would you be formed in such a way that the world would see Jesus? Allow him to change and shape your life so that it looks like the justice and the mercy and the love unconditional without agenda that we see when we come into the presence of God? That's the challenge when you see the words love your neighbour. It's not just to desire to see them come to know God, but it's to encounter God in such a way that we would go into the world and make disciples. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I just want to give you a chance. Maybe you're in this place and I don't know many of you, so I want to give you an opportunity this morning. Maybe you're in a place where there's something in you that wants to see Jesus, but you've nev never made a decision to follow him. Maybe at some point in your life you became reluctant because Something that under the name of Jesus didn't look like Jesus. Or maybe you thought you didn't need Jesus because you've yet to see that the things that you desire, that justice, that healing, the hope. I want to tell you this morning that there is a God that has made a way and his name is Jesus. That way is Jesus. The things that you want to see made right in the world, the answer to those things is Jesus. And so with every eye closed, if there's anyone here this morning that wants to see Jesus, wants to follow him, 
you recognize that that's you, just raise a hand and I'd love to pray for you this morning.